Psalmist says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my mouth. I will enter his courts with praise. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, even amidst the rain. I'm delighted to address you this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Paul writing to this Roman colony, the outpost, the empire of men and women who largely were Roman citizens and had gone there to populate uh, the city out of loyalty to the empire, needing to know how to conduct themselves in the fierce early days of the gospel being spread. Please hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yea, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We're coming to the end of our amen season, end of the school year. The end of May, the beginning of June marks a passage for us, whether we're in academia or not. Schedules change so often in business. We plan uh, activities for the summer, and many of you, as I say that, are thinking of calls to the travel agent that you need to make or plan to make, you're thinking of where you're going to go, perhaps imagining if you're going to be able to afford to get there and get back, perhaps thinking, I wish I wouldn't have made that promise to the family about what I was going to do because now we're finding that that's a much difficult proposition. Some of you are thinking about adventures and what's going to go on this summer. Perhaps it's a rite of passage uh, for children graduating and you're thinking of what they're going to do. There may be uh, mission trips for young people and for some of you adults as well. It's a time when we 
think of uh, perhaps some rest and relaxation. Perhaps it's not uh, travel that's your adventure. Perhaps it's a new business venture, something new that's going on in your life, and you're thinking of what you may do in this season to plan for the next season of your career. It may be what's going to happen in the fall. It may be in the next year. Uh, any number of things cause us, particularly as men, to think about the joy of adventure. And I'm going to make my confession this morning, since Sandy is away, I'll make a confession. Don't you tell him I said this. And I'll give, my, uh, I'll give myself uh, a hall pass here to tell you that one of the things that I love to do in spare time is to read articles and magazines about adventures. I loved that as a kid, and I would dream about exotic places. I get up first thing Saturday morning. You know, the first thing I wanted to watch was the Tarzan movie. And, and see what uh, was going to go on and what great adventures were going to happen. And I could transport myself to that and think about being in Africa or being in other places. I still do that when I watch the Travel Channel. And I think, well, that'd be an interesting place to go. That'd be a great place to stay for a while. It could be China, the Great Barrier Reef, the lost cities of Peru, uh, Q, uh, cruise on the QE2, or now the newer version. Uh, maybe just as a brief jaunt on the Concorde around the world. Well, obviously, <laughs> these adventures are fun to think about and expensive. And that's why I only plan them. I think about them, I think they're great, and someone may come to me and say, uh, I want to plan this with you and we're going to leave on Friday, are you ready? I'm going to say, got my adventure, let's go. And we'll just find somebody to finance it. There is something in us men that loves adventure. It's why some of you have succeeded so and worked so hard at business, whatever your endeavor is. Because you enjoy the chase. You enjoy the opportunity to plan and to think and to conquer. You enjoy the opportunity to set goals and see them met. And I can tell you, as someone in their middle years, I turned 50 last year, there's something really pleasurable about looking back on years and saying, I planned this by God's grace. Uh, it was in obedience, and it got done. It's a really good feeling, isn't it? And one of the hardest things for us is to have adventures, whether in our personal life, in our business life, whatever it may be, and not see them come about. To set goals and for whatever reason not be able to attain them, both because of the standards set for us by others and because of our own personal desires. We're built that way. We love the adventure, whatever it may be. Some of our adventures may be more public and well-known. Others may be more private but all satisfying. Let me suggest to you that the greatest supreme adventure, the highest adventure of all eternity is receiving and spreading the gospel. It is being known by God, having him intimately, personally, and eternally Know who you are. Know your DNA, but I'm not just talking chemistry. I'm talking about the things that are inside of you that motivate you. Your soft spots, your hot spots, whatever your spots may be. Having God know you intimately and then knowing that he will respond to your needs and desires in a personal, fatherly, eternal way.
There is nothing better than to know as much as I may be dissatisfied with my performance. I may not consider that I've had the best adventure that I ought to have. My work may have just flushed out. I may be talking about any of you this morning. And then to still know that God knows me and loves me and accepts me and finds me a delight as his son because I am linked to him through Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? So for those of us who are unemployed or underemployed, who have reached our middle years or young years or our mature years, and say, it just didn't go right. It wasn't exactly what I expected. The wonderful notion is that we still stand tall because we have the confidence that God knows us. Now, you would think that's enough to sing for all the saints again, say amen, and just go back home. Say, that's great. That's good enough. God knows me. I'm accepted. I'm a son. I know that he's dealing with the sin of my life as I render it unto him and that he finds me a delight as I am in my brokenness. Well, hallelujah, that's a wonderful thing. But there's more to this adventure. He not only knows us, but he allows us to know him. He doesn't just say, I'm up here, and when you get up here, you'll find out about me, but until then, just do what you're supposed to do, Deal with the sin in your life. I'll take care of it all in the end. Amen. God is about self-disclosure from the beginning of the Bible until the end. He says, this is what I did in the beginning, and this is how I'm finishing it. And he says, all in between, this is how I'm going to take care of you. Here's the history of my dealing with my people from person after person after person. Great folks who had great adventures and did wonderful things, and some people who were just slobs, and they messed up from the beginning to the end. God says, I'm showing love and favor and dealing with all of them, and I want you to know because I want you to know me. I want you to know my character as I unveil, unveil it. I want you to know what mercy and goodness and kindness and righteousness and holiness is. I want you to know that there is judgment. I want you to know that there is forgiveness from judgment. I want you to know that I've taken care of all the mess-ups in your life and I want you to know that when you do mess up in life, here are some of the consequences that I've gotten people out of. Now, that enough is <laughs> enough to make me want to say, hallelujah, I'll go back home, I'll get in bed, I'll go back to sleep because I'm feeling this great. But that's not the end of it either. God knows us. He allows us to know him. This is a great deal because... God is saying, I want to have this personal, eternal, genuine, deepening relationship with you. I'm concerned about what you think. Not only when you're hurt and when you're happy, I want to know your plans. And I want your plans to be my plans because when they're my plans, you're going to have a great adventure, son. It's going to be more than you could plan or imagine in your wildest dreams. You know what that says to me? I am glad that I'm the one who gets to speak this morning. Because the third aspect of this is we make him known. And that's what we're doing this morning, and that's what I'm proclaiming to you. We know God. He knows us. And the business of the person 
who loves God is to make him known and tell others. And that is really what the gospel is. When you talk about how do we share our faith, how do we tell what God is doing, that's the good news, that God knows us, that he allows us to know him, and that we have the privilege of knowing him, and that is indeed good news. If someone says to you, well, what is the gospel? What is it that Christians believe? Then you want to say, it's the message of peace that ends the warfare between us and God. And that's a real adventure. It is a message of the peace that Jesus says in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's not as the world gives that I give unto you. It's not some illusory notion. It's not just the greatest trade, the greatest promotion, something that can come and then the joy of it sort of wears off and you think, man, I really worked for that, but it's not as satisfying five years out as I thought. And, you know, I've got some of the stuff I wanted, but I still don't feel good. Was all that worth it? The peace that God gives is a peace in the adventure of life and knowing that, yes, whatever it is, is enough. God says, this is what I want you to accomplish. I'm satisfied with it. Take a hall pass and rest. Go on vacation. You deserve it. Uh, You don't have to do it 24-7. I'm not looking at you that way. I'm not expecting you to be that way. That's a wonderful part of the adventure. And that's what we ought to tell men and women. That part of knowing who God is is having peace with him and also having peace on the inside as well. Paul says here in this passage that this is foolishness to people who are perishing. You know that. When you say that to people and you say the most important thing, the big item, is having peace with God. It's not what you've attained and what you plan, et cetera, et cetera. Some people are going to say to you, oh, you're just saying that because you're weak and a loser. Because you couldn't cut it. So you do the God thing, and then that gets you out of some of the accomplishments that you get by hard work, et cetera, et cetera. It's foolishness to so many people because they just don't get it. And you know what's really humbling? Because I didn't put on... Jack and Ty this morning just to say, you know, those people are dumb and they don't know. That's you and me. Until God enters into our lives, we thought the same thing. Wasn't that many of you? Didn't you think the whole God thing was just foolishness for weak men, for losers, for those who couldn't cut it in the rest of life? Until God opens our eyes to the great work that it took to accomplish that, In the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, many of us regarded the gospel as foolishness as well. Paul says it is the power of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. He says it's light and it's life. He's saying that it's hope for the hopeless. It's truth to the lying. It's a guide to the lost. It's a healer of brokenness. It's a source of all comfort. It's the voice, sometimes 
the gentle voice. Sometimes the still, quiet voice, speaking gently and persuasively, speaking softly, giving us time to understand, time to respond, time to get on the train. And sometimes it's the loud voice of God that yells to us, sometimes in our pain, in our grief, and saying, hello, I'm here. Listen up. I want your attention and I'm going to get it. God has to deal with us men sometimes. There, there are those of us, and I'll admit that there have been the times in my life when God needed to take that divine brick and say, are you listening? I'm telling you this so that you don't have some adventure that I don't have any part of. Get with my program. Some of us need that divine brick, you know, once a day, twice a day. Some of you may not have needed it much at all in life. You know, you have that sort of disposition and that spirit. Some of us are such that God just saying it slowly, clearly, and persuasively captures our affections, gets our attention, and enables us to say, that is really good news. God, I heard you when you first called. I'm responding. I see the consequences. This is the gospel. It's the power of God. And it's not just a power like a bolt that hits everybody and knocks you out of your seat because some of you don't have that experience. It is the power of God to meet the need that each of us have to hear him and respond, to know him, to know that he knows us, and to make him known. The gospel, this power of God that Paul is preaching in his chains is a transformer of de decaying societies. It's the free gift of God. And you know what we're saying? This adventure is unlike taking a ride on the Concorde or having a private jet or uh, going off to some incredible place and climbing a mountain. Doesn't take a lot of money. Doesn't take any money. Doesn't take preparation, doesn't take a travel agent, doesn't take 10 years of working on a business plan to accomplish. This is the good news that we say, here it is. I'm holding it out to you. It's what this poor beggar found as bread and light and life. And I'm sharing bread with another guy, another woman, another family that needs it. I'm just going to tell you how God is putting me back together. And isn't it incredible that just in the telling of the good news, miraculous things happen. People become convinced that there's something more than the dreams and the stuff of this life. That there is the whole eternity of an adventure that God says, if you thought of it, even if you saw it, it wouldn't be as much as it really is. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, 
the scripture says, what God has prepared for those who love him. So the first notion is, what is the gospel? I've mentioned it, light, life, hope, the power of God, foolishness to those who are preaching, but to us, it's the power of life. It's what compels us to say, I don't care if it's raining or not, I'm going to be at Amen at 6.30. I'm going to find out something. I'm going to learn some things I didn't know, and it's going to be a benefit. It is worth it because some of you know you're going to hear something here, and you're going to hear a word in fellowship. You're going to be offer, able to offer a word of friendship and encouragement to the person who sits at the table with you that you just don't find anywhere else. You know it's real. And that to use a well-worn phrase, Jesus is showing up the real thing. If anything else is uncertain in life and in our fortunes and in relationships, Jesus is the constant. He is the North Star. He's the one that when you find, you get your orientation to everything else. When I know where Jesus is and calling me in my life, I have a notion then how to order my private life, my life with my wife, my life with the rest of my family, my life at work, my recreation. When I get an idea of what Jesus is saying, then that puts everything else in order. That is what the gospel is. Now, knowing what the gospel is is not just enough. The same as it's not just enough to know who God is. He wants us to know him intimately as he knows us. But he says, I want you to tell that story. So knowing what the gospel is must by force lead you to the question, well, what do I do with it? What's my responsibility? Tim, you and Sandy are the preachers. We know what you're supposed to do with it. Get up there and tell us about it. And then sit down before 7.30. Tell us what it is. That's what you're trained to do, isn't it? And so the question you're saying is, well, now what am I supposed to do with it? Well, you came to the right place, brother. Treat it like traveling salesmen did a long time ago when they had a good product. Came around and gave away free samples. And then stocked it at the store. People would say, oh, I got this free and it's great. Where can I buy it? Well, go right down the street. Give it away. And the wonderful thing about the gospel, about the good news, about your story of being put back together, is that people want to hear it. They're interested in it, aren't they? And we, we spend enough time and perhaps too much time in trying to say it in just the right way. You know, we don't want to seem like we're blowing our own horn. We don't want to seem like we're saying, hey, it's all about me, 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 me. Because it is all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. When I tell you that life has been great and that I've enjoyed it, it's been a great ride, it's not about Tim. It's all about grace. It's about Jesus entering in and saying, I will give you an adventure. And this September, it'll be 35 years since I first said yes to Jesus Christ. And it has been wonderful. There have been times of tears and frustration and even loneliness and the heartache of this life. But Jesus, 
has always been there. The adventure has never been a solo one. Some of us men like to do the solo thing, and we like to do the solo thing with Jesus as well. Me and you, Jesus, let's, let's get it going. That's not what we're called to. We're called to a communal life, a life in which we share as we're doing here on Thursday morning as you do where you may worship, where we're finding with others the understanding of what we share and how we share. And you all probably know some folks whose knowledge of Jesus comes across loud and clear, not necessarily limited to what they say the Bible says at this point or that point. They may not quote much to you. That's great. We ought to know it and be able to quote it. I'm not deriding that. Bible memorization, knowledge is a wonderful thing, and I've spent my life trying to do it better. But I'm talking about the testimony that's the way a person carries himself, how he deals with challenges, triumphs, how he deals with his spouse, how he may deal with the loneliness when the spouse is gone through divorce, through separation, through death, what he may do in never having been married and longing for that, how he deals with his resources, what he supports, the things that he finds worth his time and effort. You've had people like that who have spoken wonderful words about the gospel to you and they've never said a word, haven't you? And you said, that guy's a guy of character. That's someone I admire. That person says he's a Christian and he shows it. He doesn't have to say anything. And even better than when the person acts it out and then gets the opportunity to say, here's why I do this. We earn the right, don't we? And when someone has earned that right in your life, they can say incredible things. Uh, old pastor said to me when I was a young minister, if you have a person's heart, you can say anything to him. What he meant was, if someone knows that you really care about them, that you're concerned about them, and not because they'll believe the way you believe necessarily, because you just care about them and what's going on in their life, you can say a lot to that person. I spent years in mentoring men, and I'm talking to a guy who, this morning, is going through a crisis at work, may get fired, and he called me last weekend, and I've known this young fellow since he came to faith in Jesus Christ as a very rebellious, very wild young man who had done everything. You imagine it, this boy had about done it, and God just, as he said, slapped me upside the head, and now we have conversations living some states away, and he says, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, you didn't listen to what I told you. you what he did was he got angry, went and told his boss off, and he feel, felt good about it for about five minutes. And uh, he said he needed to hear it, and it's been building up for years. Now, the guy's leaving the job at the end of the month. I said, couldn't you just, you know, held that out a little bit, you know, just a couple more weeks. And now there's, he wanted to have some transition, and he's thinking, ooh, it doesn't look like I may make it to Friday afternoon. 
And I said, don't do this. Don't tell him. And he said, well, okay, now I want to know what to do. I said, well, you should have told him, talk to me about that before you cussed your boss out. He said, um, I trust you. I said, you're not going to do this, I don't think. He said, okay, I'm willing to listen. And I said, okay, you know i got to get the brick shoe and uh, uh, just bang you upside the head. He said, you know, I just don't get it sometimes, but I'm getting it now. Then we had our conversation that day, yesterday, and I got to share with him some of how he ought to respond. But it took years to win the right to speak into his life and to have him trust me enough to say, I'm going to do what you say. And I said, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to play God in your life. Uh, you need to find out from God how you ought to respond. And when you do, come back and talk to me. I'm not going to just tell you what to do because I'm not going to run your life. You've got to be a responsible man. You're too old to be doing this. Well, I tell you, that's deeply satisfying, isn't it? To know that we win our hearing to share the good news. And all I'm doing is giving it away. We're shouting it out. But it will cost us something. It costs us grief when you see people doing things they ought not to be doing. When you see them look at the gospel and say, looks good for you, not good for me. When you see someone make a decision and you think, bad for your business, unethical, bad for your marriage, not good for your home, and you just have to be a friend. Got to watch and wait and pray. Maybe have the opportunity. It cost Paul his freedom. Wanted to go and embrace this church, and he said, I'm, I'm writing to you from my chains. He said, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that Christ is preached. He said, some people are doing this out of bad motives. Some are doing it out of the right motives. What's the important thing? That the story is told. Now that says something to you and me, because sometimes if you're like me, you think, you know, have I done enough to win my right? You know, am I going to say it right? Are they going to be offended? I don't know. And, and we have this anxiety about what to do, if we should do anything. And, and we get into this paralysis, and we don't say anything or do anything. It costs us friendship sometimes. Just telling the news. Offering. Jesus as an alternative, offering the scriptures as the truth. It'll cost you friendships. It's perhaps divided some of your closest relationships. Perhaps you're here today and your girlfriend, your spouse says, what's up with that? 6.30 every morning? You don't have to go all the time. Can't you just go on Sunday? Perhaps you're here, you know, some of your Wives, spouses, girlfriends, that's a wonderful thing. I'm glad you go to Amen and you go out and say, oh, I got my tie straight. Wife, girlfriend thinks that's good. Mm, isn't this wonderful? You know, you're getting some points because you're going to Amen. Some of you know what that's like and you appreciate that. Some of you have someone who says, so you're not going? Well, good. Got some stuff you do around home or you can get to work earlier, can't you? The gospel always will cost you something. 
sharper than a two-edged sword, it divides. There are families represented here where not human sin has made a division, but the gospel has set brother and sister, mother and father, spouse and child apart from one another because of some embracing it and others saying, I don't want it and I don't want you wanting it. And what that means for us in our life is something that I can't abide. Some of you may know what it's like to have, in your mature, older years, come to a better understanding of what God's purpose is in your life. Maybe your partner and your spouse said, that's not what I signed up for. And you may be saying, that's not what I signed up for in life either. This adventure with God has taken me places and I don't even know where, where I'm going. That happens. It's caused some people to be disenfranchised at work. Some of you have paid a big price for being ethical in the marketplace. You're saying yes to Jesus, no to dishonesty. Yes to dealing rightly with personnel, no to stabbing someone in the back. Yes to perhaps staying in Memphis or staying in the area. No to the position that could have taken you somewhere else, but you determined wouldn't be good for your family, wasn't the right thing for you. Any number of choices. We make those choices all the time in proclaiming the gospel. It costs us something. It costs Jesus his life. And for believers in every age, it's cost them their lives, their fortunes, their reputation, the goodwill of people. I'll tell you one of the best ways to have people really, really like you. We struggle with that sometimes. And it's not every person, but there's a group of people, and it's a really large group of people that you may know, maybe in your neighborhood. I can tell you a prescription how to get that group of people to think you are the A1 guy in Memphis. Never say anything about God. Don't bring him up. Don't even allude to it, unless you use his name in a profane way. Some people are going to love you for it. And if they know you know God and don't say anything, they're going to think even better. Because for some people, what's the best thing about not knowing anything about God? You knowing about God and keeping your mouth shut. They think you're a straight-up guy. Yeah, he's got his God thing, but... And then someone could say, he does? I never knew that. He's a wonderful guy. He never says anything about it. Wouldn't know it. If the gospel isn't costing you something in life, in obedience, in personal discipline, in how you use the stuff of this life, then what has it done to you? If the gospel has not transformed you, and your relationships with God and humanity and the sense of whatever your adventure is, then what has it done in you? What is it doing for you? What good is it to you? What good are you to God as a servant? I'm asking you the question. This is the business. If the gospel... God has embraced you 
and you find now that it's Abraham, you are a friend of God because Jesus Christ has done something wonderful in your life. And if that has not transformed, made different, totally altered whatever would be your selfish ambition that Paul was referring to, have you been transformed? Or is it about that now? Or is that happening? Doesn't all happen at once. I would wish after 35 years that I was more transformed. I wish I were more holy. Catherine Russell were here, she'd probably say, mm-hmm. Yep. You guys pray for him that he would be. But it's, it's a God thing. And he does it. Are you cooperating? That's what I'm asking. I'm not asking when you puff yourself up and suddenly make yourself, you know, St. Augustine and St. Jerome and Billy Graham and everyone else you know all at one time. Are you cooperating? Despite whatever the limitations are for Paul, it was his change. He said, I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on telling it. Uh, when we love Jesus, it's saying that we love him more than anything else. Power, position, self-acclaim, money, whatever it may be. Paul's command is to keep on telling the story. And he uses a wonderful expression when he says that we preach Christ. It's a word from which we get trumpet. And what he's saying is we ought to go toot, toot, toot. This is what the gospel says. And it ought to come out of every fabric of our life. And as St. Francis said, preach the gospel all day, every day. And if necessary, say it. I heard it. Use words. And if necessary, use words. And how you react and how you interact and everything you do and how you plan, whatever your adventure is. And then use words. Use as is helpful the good news that Jesus has given to us in the deposit of the scripture. Trumpet it. Sometimes trumpets made loud, big sound. Sometimes, particularly if you listen to jazz and the blues, it makes some low, dulcet, mournful tunes. Sometimes it's something that you barely hear in a piece of music. And sometimes it is the announcement of what is most important. When someone dies, I take the low road, say a lot to someone, show up, give them a hug, shake their hand, tell them that you care. A month later, do the same thing, don't leave them alone. I got a note from a dear widow in this church. I said, thank you for your note when my husband died. I had to stop and think, what did I say? I said, I'm sorry to hear your husband has died. And Kathy and I are praying for you, and I said a few other things. A couple years ago, got in touch with me. She got in touch with me when my father died in March, and she said, I remember that note. Still couldn't remember exactly what I said. And I saw her, and I said, I, I have to admit to you, I, I don't remember what I said. And she smiled, and she said, you were just there, and uh, I could tell that you cared. 
I thought, now this is God. This is God, and this is how God shows up and gets trumpeted sometimes in your life. Just being a person of peace and empathy and care and support and constancy. The person who's not going to put the knife in the back of someone is just sharing what the gospel is and winning the right. And it's also at times saying, for example, in a community that so desperately needs the gospel, we will speak to the structures of our time, to how we do business in Memphis, to our politics, to our schools, to established authorities. And we will, as far as we can understand, proclaim the way of the gospel. Sometimes it's just saying, we want to admit and say some things are broken. And we want to see them put back together. And quite frankly, don't have all the answers. Now, I don't know that who does have them. But I know that some different courses may need to be taken in this area or that area. Sometimes it's speaking up in that way and being a person who isn't just concerned about his own personal adventure, but what's the peace and the prosperity of our city, as Jeremiah says we all ought to be concerned about. Sometimes it means, as you have opportunity, and we all don't, to take public stands. You've heard Sandy Wilson from this pulpit and other preachers take some really strong stands on issues. That's your lot as well as God gives opportunity. Are you willing to take a stand? Are you willing to be unpopular? Are you willing for it to cost you something to bear the good news of Jesus? Are you willing to do it low key? Are you willing to do it high key? Well, that's the adventure that we're called to go on. That's the one that God says he will bless. That's the adventure that God says he will make successful. And what's the result? Well, Paul says it in verse 14. Because of my chains, the word is spoken more courageously and fearlessly. It will bear the fruit of new Christians and transform the places where we live and work and worship. Recently, my wife and I were at Anne Frank's home in Amsterdam, and we saw the little rooms that Anne and her family lived in in those closing days of World War II before they were deported, and for the most part, besides Mr. Uh, Frank, uh, died in concentration camps. And we again realized what can happen when good men and women don't speak up. We also realize some of the good things that happen when some good people said, you know, for the sake of our friends, we'll hide you, even though it may cost you our lives. We'll, we'll protect you. We'll bring you food. You're, you're Jews, and, and you're not liked, but we're Christians, and, and we're going to do the right thing by you. And it was really moving to think of the danger that the coworkers of Mr. Frank and the friends of their family underwent to bring them food to protect them for a couple of years. 
and the courageous people that we know in every age who at cost to the personal comfort have been willing to say, I'll trumpet it, I'll do it, I'll tell the good news, I'll expect that God will do something. And they lost their life for it. But they gained God's favor in the life to come. I recently got in my mailbox the latest biography of Eric Little, the flying Scotsman who ran in the 24 uh, Olympics. And as you know, the story of chariots of fire, he wouldn't run on Sunday. And uh, Eric's obedience in the Olympics caught in that film, Chariots of Fire, which you ought to see, Oscar-winning movie, wonderful uh, to view, well done, good story, uh, ends with his running and having the great glory. And it doesn't tell you that in 1945, just before the war ended, Eric Little died of a brain aneurysm in a prison camp held by the Japanese. The movie tells the end. The biography goes into great detail. The movie just says, when Eric died, and it says, all Scotland mourned. And then the biography goes on to tell all of these people, some of whom said they didn't believe in God, but they believed that what he did was out of principle and they admired him. And many Christians said, here's a hero. He had a dream. He gave aside some of his own dreams to run and to be an athlete, to go to the mission field. And at the age of 42, died what we think prematurely. And people are still reading about him and seeing him as a hero. What's the result of your life when you're gone? What people say about you, he so lived his life in obedience. All of his community mourned. All of Memphis mourned because of who he was. Are you willing? Eric said, God made me to run, so I run. God made me fast. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Well, he said, I'm just doing what God called me to do, run and run fast. He won the Olympics. What is it in life that causes you to know God's pleasure in bearing the gospel, in trumpeting it, in sharing the good news? What excites you? Maybe that's the adventure that God is going to use more and more and give you excitement about it, thrill you in the doing of it. You know, our Christian faith encounters opposition. But God says it's a faith that is going to compel people to accept it. And in the last great day in John's revelation, the apocalypse and revelation, he says there's a number that no one could number. There were thousands upon thousands and then looking for an expression that he didn't even have in his language, he says there were myriads of myriads of people. That's the result of what your trumpeting is going to do. Many are going to hear it, and they're going to say, that's the God I want to know. That's what I've been waiting to hear. Why didn't you tell me that before? Some of us are surprised when people say that to us. You know, I've had those surprises when I thought, wow, personally, person actually wanted to know about Jesus. Wow. Like that should be a surprise. The result 
is going to be wonderful. Now, some of you are concerned about your motives and others in witnessing. Pray for yourself and pray for others. The problem most of us have is not being hard-handed, you know, and pushing the gospel down someone's throat or using that phrase I've heard so often, banging someone head over the head with the Bible. That's not the problem of most of you guys. Just admit it. Most people aren't turned off because they see you coming. Take the opportunities. Find them. Pray for them. Ask God to include you in his adventure of doing something different and wonderful in the life of someone you know and care for. Some of you are silenced by your own perceived inadequacy. Just keep praying that God will use you. Tell what God is doing daily in your life. The gospel invitation is from the king. And however muddied it may be in our shortcomings, the focus of our life, the trumpeting, is Jesus. And as long as we keep focusing on him and what he's done, we will have success. Paul didn't say, wait till I get out of prison, get everything in order, then I'll come and tell you. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, even in hardship, the gospel is preached, it's a wonderful thing. Hebrews 11 records the great company of believers who cheer us on in our adventure. Talks about all those heroes of faith. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, it goes on and says, having been encompassed by such a great cloud of believers, let us run with joy the race that is set before us. We're emboldened because so many people have gone before us and they've done the right thing and God has blessed it. And they've messed it up along the way and we've seen it. God has still blessed it. So trumpet it. Tell the news that God knows you and you know him and you would wish that those whom you care for would know him as well. The hymn that we sang this morning says when the king of glory passes on his way it's going to be a great great party my interpretation of for all the saints but lo there breaks a yet more glorious day the king of glory passes on his way that great and glorious day is going to be the one where Jesus comes back raises us up from the grave gives us a new body and says, now is going to be the part of the adventure that you never knew about. And it's greater and better. I'm looking for that yet more glorious day and laboring for it. And I'm glad that I'm doing it with men such as you. There is a yet more glorious day for Memphis as well. May God make it so. And may we be a small part in it. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we look for a yet more glorious day when in you work here among us, in our city, in this county, in the counties around us, in this region, in our nation, and you do things beyond that which we, even, we can't even think or imagine. Wonderful things, miraculous things, healing things, the things of the gospel as you make yourself known. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, Thank you for the privilege of making you known. And thank you for the promise that your word, your purpose, 
the greatest adventure of all eternity, will conquer, will have success. And we are beloved of you as your sons, as your friends, to be a part of it. May all glory and honor and power and dominion be to you, Lord Jesus Christ, now and in the age to come. Amen. <laughs>